Most often, the brightest smiles come from those who've struggled the most. What's behind your smile? Let's open up and talk about what's really going on behind the smile. And sometimes it's okay to fake it until we make it. I'm Bonnie Woodrick. Join me to gain insight on how many of us hide behind the smile to get through painful and difficult times. My podcast is a safe place where others can share their stories and discuss how opening up rather than hiding behind a smile allows for growth and happiness. I have two guests today on this Behind the Smile podcast from Athletes Connected, a collaboration between the University of Michigan School of Public Health, the Eisenberg Family Depression Center, and the athletic department, which aims to eliminate the stigma of mental illness while improving the well-being of student athletes at U of M. If you are a U of M football fan, I am sure you have heard of the name Will Heininger. Will is a U of M graduate and a four-time letterman in football, a four-time academic all-time Big Ten award winner, and twice a Big Ten distinguished scholar. In Will's senior season, he started every game for the Wolverines, who knocked off Ohio State on their way to an 11-2 season and a Sugar Bowl championship. Today, Will works in mental health education and outreach for the University of Michigan's Eisenberg Family Depression Center. He openly shares his story of battling and overcoming major depression and anxiety while playing football and attending U of M. Joining Will is Abigail Eiler, a licensed clinical social worker and educator. Professor Eiler is a part of the University of Michigan School of Social Work and teaches various courses to MSW and PhD students. She is a chair of the Big Ten's Mental Health and Wellness Cabinet and serves on the Big Ten Equality Coalition. In 2015, she was named Executive Professional Woman of the Year by the National Association of Professional Women. I'm so excited today to have a couple of University of Michigan staff, faculty with me, Will Heiniger and Abigail Eiler. Did I pronounce that right, Abigail? All right. In your own words, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Abigail, we'll start with you. Sounds great. Well, thank you for having us. We've been looking forward to this for for quite some time. My name is Abigail Eiler. I'm a clinical assistant professor at the University of Michigan School of Social Work. I also have an appointment in the athletic department at the university where I am the chief diversity officer. I oversee athletic counseling as the director of our athletic counseling team, and I'm an assistant athletic director. So wear many hats, but, you know, really excited to to share my knowledge and some things that we've been working on at Michigan today. What an incredible person. And one thing that you left out that I'm really impressed with, and I think in 2015, you received a pretty prestigious award. What is that? The National Association for Professional Women. Um, I was selected as the Woman of the Year in 2015. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. And Will, we're in the big house behind the smile. Tell us about you. Well, first of all, you we left more than one thing out about Abigail, but we could genuinely spend the whole show on, on her resume. You're, you're right that she's um, just incredibly impressive and we're lucky to have her. And a little bit about me. Um, my name is Will Heininger. I am the Outreach Coordinator for Mental Health at the Eisenberg Family Depression Center, uh, formerly the U of M Depression Center. And within that role, I do mental health education um, for different populations, including our student athletes, as well as everything from um, middle and high schoolers to adult and even corporate populations. So really enjoy helping people make sense of mental health in a way that 
they can use it in their own lives um, and feel maybe a little bit more in control of it rather than the other way around. I love that. I really appreciate what the University of Michigan is doing. But a couple things that you left out, you are a U of M graduate, four-time letterman in football, four-time academic all-Big Ten award winner, and twice Big Ten distinguished scholar. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much. It feels like a long time ago. Well, those days, they, they had to be really have helped shape your life, though, and to bring you to where you are at the U of M today with the Eisenberg Family Depression Center. First, I want to learn a little bit about Athletes Connected. Abigail, can you tell us what Athletes Connected is? Sure. So Athletes Connected is a program that came out of an NCAA innovation grant in 2014. The programming has really centered on uh, destigmatizing mental health for um, for athletes and specifically student athletes. Will has been instrumental in the development and the continuation of the program Uh, The project team is really dedicated to making sure that we're providing prevention techniques and skills and education to each of our student athletes. And it's a program that continues to evolve and develop and looking forward to what's to come this upcoming year. So how is Athletes Connected and the Eisenberg Family Depression Center working together? Good question. So when this grant came out in 2014, we applied for it as a collaboration between um, the School of Public Health, which is where our um, PI was, and the Depression Center and the athletic department. So um, it's a collaboration. And now with Abigail as wearing the many hats that she does and our, um, our former PI having moved on uh, to an appointment at UCLA, now it's a collaboration really between Athletics, Depression Center, and um, the School of Social Work. And so for the, for the Eisenberg Depression Center, right, um, we want to, in my outreach work, reduce stigma, right, raise awareness, and promote help-seeking for mental health issues. And so with our student-athletes, it's pretty simple in terms of student-athletes want to be good. They want to succeed. They want to take care of themselves. And unfortunately, for a long time, they just didn't have the knowledge on the mental health side as where they knew just about everything or would learn just about everything on the physical health side as they went through their career at the university. And so, as I'm sure we'll get to, having been fortunate enough to receive incredible care and lucky enough when I needed it and and when I was in crisis, it made me realize really just how lucky I was and that we would serve our student athletes well to develop a more comprehensive program, safety net, whatever you want to call it, so that wherever they fall on the spectrum of mental health, whether they're thriving, but just can't seem to perform at a certain point in their competition or whether they're way on the other end and their competition and their sport is the last thing on their mind and um, struggling with, with more severe issues. We want to be able to meet them where they are and then help them move in the right direction. Well, kudos to you guys at, at U of M for recognizing this because I think that it's it's way overdue. And I was so impressed with everything that I saw you doing um, to support the athletes. And I think you bring up a really good topic, right, is supporting the athletes with the pressure that they have today. And we're all watching it right now on the news with the Olympics and Simone Biles. Abigail, what is your feelings on how the public is handling that and how Simone is handling that? You know, I think it's it's difficult to to really comment on that, you know, with each athlete, you know, everyone kind of has their own experience and their own lens in which they're walking through life. And all I can say is that we hope that she's getting the support that she needs. 
I think the public not really understanding mental health and how mental health is a spectrum of where people are functioning and, and how they're performing has led to a lot of people making very high critical comments about a young woman who is doing her best and has continued to show up for our country for years and years. And so my hope is that people can extend grace and kindness as any athlete um, you know, is, is working through their career. And I think also what an opportunity for us to talk about mental health is health and mental health is just as important, taking care of it, seeking treatment, talking about it, just as we would our physical health. And Will, you went through a pretty traumatic time during your football season when you were experiencing anxiety and depression. And one of the important things at, at I understand is bringing the conversation to everyday places, changing the definition of suicide from one who intentionally kills himself to an effect of a mental brain health illness, because this is our brain, or pain, because we're not talking about pain. And I was so grateful that you were able to recognize your pain was from your parents' divorce. That really was the trigger for you. Is that correct? It, it is correct. Um, but at the time, I wouldn't have said that that's correct. I didn't know that. It took a lot of work in therapy. And at the time, really as a sign of how far we've come now, I didn't even know what depression or anxiety were. Nobody talked about them. I remember looking in the mirror being 19 and telling myself, like, you must be going crazy. This is what going crazy is. And yeah, it was certainly, you know, traumatic to have any untreated health issue, especially one that can affect you truly all day, every day. And so just, again, felt so fortunate to really, you know, break down at the right place at the right time and have the resources there. And then as I was fortunate to recover and feeling good about life again. I also realized that these tools that had helped me and these skills I'd learned in therapy that had helped me recover and just, again, like life again. I remember walking out of South Quad or dorm and just feeling like happy to go to class and, and thinking like, man, it's been a long time since I felt that. Um, I was able to continue to use those skills to excel in football and in school. And so it made me realize that, you know, mental health is is a spectrum. It's lacking for a lot of people. And there's a lot of use for it for athletes just on the performance end. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's the avenue you have to start with, or that's what appeals to some athletes. Um, but as we say, you know, whatever brings them to the mental health water, as long as they drink it. That's absolutely right. Many of our listeners probably don't know your story about the depression and anxiety that you faced while you were still playing football. Can you share a little bit, you know, go back to that time and when you discovered that you were actually living with anxiety and depression? Yeah. So this was after my freshman year had ended. Um, so, you know, late April, early May, I actually ended up getting my tonsils out around that time, which I don't often talk about with my story, but Abigail, with what I've learned over time and the, the medication and the stopping of physical activity, and also just feeling like I was falling behind my teammates as they were getting to do their spring workouts, I started to notice that my thoughts were fewer and fewer felt like my own thoughts. And instead, um, I was having what I would learn is called rumination, but just intense, disruptive thoughts that would come in the form of why is anybody happy about anything? Why is life worth living? Why did coach show up today? Why would anybody care if I didn't show up tomorrow? And 
obviously those are really scary and, and troubling thoughts to have. And especially when personally I hadn't experienced them before and I didn't know that there was any medical basis for it. So again, just telling myself that I, that I was going crazy. And so I, I remember thinking to myself, like in my life, when things have become hard and at that point hard was high school conditioning workouts and AP classes. And when things were hard that I'd put my head down and, and grind through it. And I was proud of my ability to do that. And unfortunately, because I wasn't educated about mental health, that's what I decided was my best bet to get through whatever this was, which ended up being um, major depression and anxiety. And so I told only my mom for a long time, and she actually helped me get set up with a therapist in town. And this is again during the summer. So we're not at their sport all the time, although some things have changed. But anyway, my first experience with the therapist um, didn't go very well, but I was also convinced at the time that it wasn't going to work for me. And I believed all my distorted thoughts that this was for people who could get better and that in fact, a lot of the tools that ended up working for me later on were ones that this therapist tried, but the second they didn't work for me, the first time that that it didn't work in the moment, I just threw it out and used that as confirmation that I'm untreatable, that I won't get better. And so it wasn't really until the first couple practices of two-a-days, which we're coming up on right now, where we got to the end of practice one day and I'd been sort of suffering in silence and holding this in for so long. And I remember just feeling like, First, I felt the tears coming on. I remember feeling like I didn't have the energy to hide it anymore. I didn't even care anymore who knew. And I will forever be grateful to a man named Lenny Naviscus, a first year athletic trainer. So he had every reason in the world to defer to other people or to even just not be that good at, at his work. But he happened to notice and he came and he put his arm around me and he said, hey, Will, come with me. You're going to be okay. We're going to take care of you. Um, and he walked me into uh, Barb Hansen's office, who um, used to do some of the therapy for U of M student athletes that Abigail does now. And, um, and she saved my life. That's amazing. You know, another thing that we say, it takes one person to understand and one person to recognize what somebody else is going through. Abigail, what would you tell to somebody that's recognizing these feelings like Will had? How can we go through that door and help someone else. Absolutely. I we always give the message it's okay not to be okay. And I think the other thing that I would make sure that folks know is that there are people out there to support and to listen and to help. And I think a lot of times people are not sure where to go, who to turn to. And as Will mentioned earlier, there's no wrong door into our counseling program. And so making sure that people are speaking up, recognizing when, um, you know, their symptoms are changing, their behaviors are changing and taking the, that first step in order to get help. I think the one thing we repeat to our student athletes at Michigan all the time is we're here for you. And we mean that each and every day. And so we try and give that message as much as possible to help one destigmatize help seeking behaviors and increase that, but also creating this normalcy of our mental health is, is just as important as our physical health. You know, it's essential for our mental health to be at its best so that we can perform and, and reach the goals that we would like to both in competition, in the classroom and in other areas of our life. So Will, you're in a place now at the University of Michigan working at the Eisenberg Family Depression Center. Did you ever think that you were going to be working in the arena of mental health? 
Uh, not for the first 24 years of my life. Even once I had recovered and gone on to succeed at U of M, um, I still, you know, I was well into my major. And so I figured, you know, that I would go and, and work in that field. And, and I did for a couple of years. And it was actually Barb, my former therapist, who asked if I would be willing to present a, an award to the student advocate uh, award winner at our Depression on College Campuses conference, which we have every year in Ann Arbor, and tell my story. And it was the first time I'd ever been asked. And I felt, you know, I was in a really good place. And so I did this and, and I had no idea how big of a deal it was to people. A, a doctor came up, that is not, not my story, but that mental health, I had no idea that it affected so many people. So sometimes I look back and think like, man, you were really blind, you know, as a college student, but also I recognize as a student athlete, like there's not much more time than school and your sport and, you know, having a, a bit of a social life. And so this doctor came up to me afterwards and he said, um, you need to come with me to Phoenix and tell this to the NCAA. Nobody is talking about this, but everybody's dealing with this. And so that was the second time. And then after that, it just sort of snowballed from there. And, and a year later, the grant came out that would become Athletes Connected. And Barb and, and the people that were working on the grant at the time asked if I wanted to, to move back to Michigan and work on the grant. And uh, at the time, was able to help out with the football team as well. And so that was the beginning of my foray into mental health. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. I've learned a ton. I think one of the most gratifying parts of it has been branching outside of athletics and, and learning like how common the underlying causes can be, um, the underlying stressors can be and, and how they manifest, whether we're talking about, you know, people in the performing arts or engineers or, uh, I mean, you name it, right? But that people in all corners of the world experience this, and yet way too many of us didn't know about it, didn't know how to talk about it, definitely didn't know that help was even available. So I'm grateful to be in this field. I'm really genuinely grateful to work with people like Abigail and the, the people who came before Abigail and helped launch Athletes Connected because, I mean, I don't know what better way to, to use our time and our, and our resources than to support our student athletes holistically because, again, if you want to succeed at anything, you would like your whole body to be working and functioning properly at that time. And so I'll just wrap it with this part is part of why I'm so passionate about this is that when I was leaving Michigan, I felt so confident and prepared that I could handle whatever came next and not in a way like I knew everything, but in a way like I knew how to be vulnerable and I knew how to ask for help. And I had lived experience that asking for help like made things immeasurably better. And so I, I wish that feeling on every single human being and I work on having our student athletes be able to, to have that feeling as they leave the University of Michigan. Well, you share that so beautifully. And I feel like, you know, we never know where our journey is going to take us, right? I never thought my journey would be what it is today. I thought it was going to be very different. That doesn't necessarily have to be bad. But your journey through all those difficult times brought you to a place that I think you're not only helping others, but you're also healing yourself by relating. And that power of sharing your story and the transparency that you show us is truly inspiring. And I really thank you for doing that. I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I will say that I hope that one day it's not um, uncommon and that it's maybe it can still be inspiring, but that it's not um, out of the norm. And, you know, people will say, 
You have so much strength for sharing your story. Oh, that was so brave of you. You have so much courage. And I kind of look at that and I'm like, you know, we shouldn't have to have courage living and sharing our truth, right? Shouldn't we all just be able to talk about it and share it? Abigail, what do you think is holding people back from sharing their own journeys? I think there's a couple things there. I think one is just understanding our own stories and our own experiences. You know, one of the things that Will had mentioned earlier was like, I didn't know what depression and anxiety was when I first started experiencing it. So I think there's an education piece that's critical that we should start earlier. Will and the Depression Center has started doing a lot of work in in high schools and middle schools. It's a peer-to-peer program providing education and support to our young ones so that they're learning early how to take care of themselves and, and how to support each other. So I think there's that piece. The other side of it, I think, is also, you know, the willingness, readiness, and, and ability to reach out and to get help. And I think that part's critical and important too. Um, there needs to be more services. There needs to be improved access to services you know, we're very fortunate at the University of Michigan to have the number of counselors that we do to support our student athletes. We're seeing a significant increase across the Big Ten, and we've done a lot of work with Commissioner Kevin Warren and um, the Mental Health and Wellness Cabinet to achieve that. But, you know, I think, again, everybody's story is different. Everybody's experiences are different. But what we're seeing through data and both through practice is that the need for mental health services and support is going up significantly. And so I think the more prevention work we can do and the more we can support our athletes from the very beginning, we're going to see better outcomes. Since the pandemic and and living through COVID and the isolation and so many other factors have just attributed to the increase, you know, and that's when we go back and we talk about, you know, the CDC says that 54% of those that die by suicide do not have a diagnosed mental health illness. So where does that come from, right? And those are the things that I think we need to start recognizing and like the pain, pain from divorce, the financial devastation, isolation, grief, physical pain. As a former athlete, Will, and what you're seeing today working with these athletes, are you seeing that change where people are recognizing that, you know, this isn't just something a crazy person has. It's something that we all face. I would say yes. And I'm, I'm really proud of how far we've come. You mentioned, or I'm sorry, Abigail mentioned the work with, um, you know, school kids and not just our work, but the fact that we have a generation of young people who really for the first time in in our country's history are being educated about mental health as they grow up so that they don't get to age 18, 19, 20, or in my father's case, 55 and experience a mental health episode and um, not have any idea what's happening or how to get help. And so it's interesting, like, again, when when I struggled if you ask the question to my high school class, you know, raise your hand if you've heard of depression or anxiety before, I would estimate that under 10% of the hands would have gone up. And the fact that that's hard to believe now, and when you tell kids that now, and you ask that now, and they all raise their hand, and they look at you like, there's no way that people didn't know about this, or like, I can't, it just can't imagine, even though it was a decade or a decade and a half ago, it shows how far we've come. And you see it in our student athletes Um, One story, just a quick testament to the work of Abigail's team and the athletic counseling team is a student athlete was talking about, she was a freshman and how she had um, experienced mental health issues in high school, but she had planned to keep them quiet when she came to Michigan. 
and um, just out of stigma and fear of repercussions. And on a bus trip back from a competition, there were um, two seniors, a captain and another senior, who were openly talking about their upcoming appointments with the athletic counseling team and how much the work had just helped with mental health issues, whether it's depression, anxiety, eating disorders, or just immense amounts of stress. And so she said like, that changed my mind in that moment. It immediately made me feel like not only like do I not have to hide it, but it's smart. And the leaders of the team, the people that I want to be one day are doing this. And so when you have that happening in mass, um, then we're, we're really going to see it. And you, as you mentioned, we have some of the biggest stars um, in the world in sports who are now sharing their stories and who are helping to empower um, people across the globe. And again, it goes back to that power of sharing your story and taking all that stigma away and saying, you know, I'm seeing a counselor. Yep, I do have to take medication. Yep, I do have to do whatever it takes for my mental health because really we have to get in that mindset of, hey, we're going to go out and work out physically, right? I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go to a yoga class. But we also have to find something that's going to work our brain. So Abigail, what is some of the best advice that you could give for those that want to work their brain? I think the one thing is really doing a reflection, right, of how am I doing? How am I feeling? What are my goals? And I always say connecting to our reasons that help us move forward and really kind of embrace who we are, right, in and and outside of sport. I do a lot of affirmation building with our student athletes. It's been critical for their overall development. We give each of our student athletes, um, when they come into the institution, gratitude journals, this opportunities to reflect back and say like, these are the things that really connect me, hold me together and that I'm thankful and grateful for. Like, these are my accomplishments because many people get to this place where they start to question, am I enough? Am I worthy? You know, am I lovable? And those are key factors, you know, with, with depressive disorders. And we know how quickly that can shift based off of, of performance. There's someone that I work with. Her name's Emily Klee. She's also a former elite athlete. And she talks a great deal about, you know, like bad performance, bad person, and how that shows up a lot in a student athlete's life. And so we really try to, to separate those things, break things down in a way of saying, You know, there are going to be times that are tough and maybe you're not performing where you want to and you are still lovable, you are still worthy and you are still enough. And so being able to recenter and really focus on those things is critical. Um, You know, I always say do that month, you know, your self mental health check in, right? Like, how am I sleeping? How am I eating? How am I, you know, kind of planning for my day? days in the life of a student athlete are very structured. And so having that flexible time is important, but also recognizing when we start to feel unmotivated or disconnected and detached and um, really helping our student athletes recognize that we can have flexibility in our schedule and still do the things that we're determined and committed to doing. I, I was happy to hear about the gratitude journals because expressing gratitude on a daily basis can be so healing. And then they say, 
and maybe you've heard this, that if you say express gratitude for 21 days, it definitely changes that mindset and makes you feel happier. Abigail, you probably are well aware of that. Yeah, you know, because it increases our natural dopamine, those natural pleasers in our body. And so it can have significant impacts on how we function. And we really encourage our athletes to do that. It was funny. I was talking to one athlete and they were like, this is like the perfect size for a grocery list journal. I go, it is. And I will get you another journal for your grocery list. (laughs) Let's prioritize here. (laughs) So I had on my podcast, Tara Lipinski, the Olympic gold medalist, NBC News sports commentator. And we talked about her anxiety and anxiety as an athlete and her dealing with it on a day-to-day basis and how her anxiety made her better at times for competition. Did you ever, Will, feel like your anxiety made you a better player? Absolutely. And I'm curious to hear Abigail's thoughts on this because she's too modest to acknowledge that she's also a high level former athlete. Um, But I think that was actually like the biggest thing because what I cared about was football and our team being good. And I loved Michigan football long before I ever thought I would have a chance to play it. And so as I got better and as I um, was returning and starting to earn playing time, I would literally use some of these skills Abigail alluded to, but just paying attention to your thoughts, because when you are, you know, in the big house or in any, any arena, you know, it doesn't matter. There's pressure. Your thoughts could be anywhere. It could be, there's a million people watching on TV or why didn't my parents come to the game? Or what if I screw up and coach is going to pull me out? I mean, your mind could be thinking about endless number of things. And often like, in fact, it would be weird if you didn't have anxiety in those moments, What I had learned through athletic counseling at Michigan and and through lived experience was that, okay, for me, my job is to play the B gap, meaning between the the guard and the offensive tackle. And so I've practiced doing that 10,000 times. And I know that the only thing that matters for doing that or the only things that matter are where my eyes are focused, where my hands, I mean, you can see me doing it as I'm talking about it, not who's in the stands, not how many people are watching on TV, not even what the guy next to me is doing for the most part. But if I can compartmentalize and lock in on my job and do that from the time the ball snapped to the whistle four or five seconds later, and then, yeah, you can have some fun and feel the crowd. And then you got to lock back in and you got to you know be able to do it again. And I can't tell you how empowering it felt to like go from where anxiety felt crippling to where I was using it to my advantage adaptively and again, that's where I'm like, how does every athlete not want to experience this? Like, I want them all to experience this because I was able to achieve it and, and perform at higher levels than I genuinely ever thought possible. And I think I realized part of it was because my own brain was holding me back. Yeah. And there's a natural high in adrenaline rush when you're out there getting ready to go perform whatever athletic competition that you're in. So one of the things that Tara also mentioned when she was talking about anxiety, she gave us three words. It goes away. So Abigail, as that elite athlete and having experienced that anxiety yourself, do you agree with that comment that it goes away? I think it can. One of the things that can come up is when do you need to kind of kick it into high gear and utilize that anxiety to perform at your very best and then come back to baseline so that it doesn't become impairing with whatever the next assignment is, is really important. I think for some folks that have more of a chemical imbalance, it can be a little bit more debilitating, right? Um, And it can also feel like it's not going away. 
But anxiety is also one of the most treatable mental health disorders that's out there. So when Tara says it goes away, I think there is that essence of like, it is not all the time, but it does come up at different points in my life and learning how to um, cope with it, learn how to, like Will said, make an adaptable skill where I can use this to my advantage is really important. And, and that's really the basis of the counseling program and staff, right? Is teaching our athletes how to do that. And I'm thankful that every day that's something that I get to do. I think it's important that we don't discount anxiety and say, well, it goes away, right? We have to recognize that, yeah, maybe during that moment, I'm so anxious. And once I get through it, wow, I'm so relieved. But then there are people that live with crippling anxiety, and it doesn't go away without the treatment and those skills and tools that you guys teach. So will. What do you do at the Eisenberg Depression Center? And what is the most exciting thing that you've accomplished there? Well, again, my work is really um, helping educate different populations about mental health. And in, as Abigail said, with our student athletes, you know, it's focused a little bit more specifically on their lives and the things that they go through. Um, and when we're working with younger students and, and school kids, it's more about recognizing signs and symptoms and psychoeducation and how to seek help or how to help a friend or loved ones seek help. I'd say the most exciting thing, I mean, it's Athletes Connected will always be near and dear to my heart and just the ripple effects of it to see people who were in high school when it started, who have now gone through the University of Michigan, been captains, been leaders on their own teams, furthered the mental health conversation to extents that I never dreamed of. And then gone on to become doctors or professionals in the field. I have goosebumps talking about it, but still I think the thing that will always you know, touch me most are just the individual stories um, and conversations often after a, a speaking engagement or sharing my story at a school and hearing the kids say, you know, you just put in words what I've been feeling for however many years or however long, or, you know, you just told my story and, you know, my parents are getting divorced or, my, my mind, I didn't have a word for it, but when you were talking about your thoughts, like that's what I've been dealing with. And to be able to acknowledge that and affirm that and normalize that, and then um, help get them connected to the appropriate resource. It's tough to beat that feeling. Well, your passion is very evident and I really appreciate that. And I think that the power of sharing your story once again, validated that the lived experience as much as we need our counselors, as much as our counselors and therapists can help us, that lived experience, I think, is what really, truly touches somebody else that's struggling to know that they're not alone. So tell me about your podcast. Yeah, so I host a podcast called The Mental Minute with Michigan Medicine, and we try to keep it light. Um, the goal is we've had Abigail on, she was one of our first guests, um, and we try to bridge the gap between what experts know about mental health and are able to use about mental health and what the general population knows about mental health. And so we try to bring on experts um, in different realms of the mental health field and talk like you would talk, as my co-host says, at a bar or in a casual conversation about mental health in ways that it can become part of everyday dialogue in ways that people you know, might not have heard before or just thought that it's okay to talk about in that way. So Abigail, do you want to leave everyone with some words of wisdom? Sure. I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because every single day I, I kind of reflect on um, the things that I've said and the things that I've done and know that 
that has impacts on, on folks that come after me is being a, a native woman. One of the things that we always say is, you know, whatever you say will impact the seven generations to follow you. And so I guess what I would say to those in closing is that be intentional with our efforts, be kind with our heart and know that each and every single one of us matters. Um, we're enough. And that if you need help, it's there. You too. I think I could talk to you all day. You're so inspiring, so wise. And I think that you really touched on some things that people really need to hear and validate for some that it's okay to not be okay. So I thank you so much, Will and Abigail, for your time today. Good luck to both of you. I am going to continue to follow and watch. And if there's anything that myself or I understand can do to help move your programs forward, don't hesitate to ask. So thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having us. And go blue, of course. Yep, go blue. Absolutely. Go blue. Take care. A great conversation was had with not one, but two elite athletes from the University of Michigan, who then went on to work at their alma mater. I greatly appreciated Will openly discussing how he lived with anxiety and depression and ultimately discovered that pain was a catalyst for his struggle while dealing with his parents' divorce. It was validation once again that pain needs to be discussed when facing depression. Acknowledging that mental health is just as important as physical health can be a game changer. U of M understands the importance of having a top in the country social work program led by Abigail, where she and her guidance students can provide athletes the direction and support needed. The force behind these two is evident and their passion felt is inspiring. Check out Athletes Connected at athletesconnected.umich.edu and the University of Michigan's Eisenberg Family Depression Center to learn more. Thank you to our community partner, Bigby Coffee, for your continued support, allowing us to start the conversation with a Bigby beverage. And thank you to Stuart Polchak at Soundpost Studios for making us sound so good. <laughs>